Ooh, I'm gonna be honest, man. I'm I am pumped up today. I wish sometimes that we could we could do church backwards, that we could do the message from God and then worship, because our worship is already rich. But man, y'all, it just blows me away. Lizzie, thank you for your honesty as you read that today. Those of you who know Lizzie, you know that I had church right then, baby. Thank you. Um, and if you would bring up uh, that psalm passage again, one forty-five, Psalm one forty-five. I just, this, for those of you who, who weren't with us last week, uh, God gave us an incredible message through Glenn about how Jesus promotes passion in us as we, as we abide in Christ, as we spend time with him, as we dig that well, God fills it full of water into overflowing. And, and y'all, that has been my week this week. And so today, um, you're going to hear several different stories from me. Um, and my hope is, is that the narrative that, that I share with you guys today um, will help you to understand what God was doing in, in my life this week. And, and it blessed me, but it was incredible what God did in some other people's lives. But I wanted to, I wanted to bring this back up, just because I, I want you to hear the language in this, and I want you to see the consistency of the message that God has for our body. Okay, So we'll just, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to put some emphasis in it, some things that I think um, that God is, is bringing out to us. Okay? Starting in verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Listen to this. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Y'all feeling that overflow? On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Y'all, God is, is sending us a consistent message. All right. Last week when Glenn was sharing about the story of Mary and Martha and how Mary came and she anointed Jesus' feet with oil, one of the things that stood out to me that just, just blew my mind, I'd never noticed before, is, is how Mary's act of worship and sitting at the feet of the Jesus made its way across town. And someone else who was lowly and destitute and desperately needed to know God's love heard of that and it gave her the courage to go and do the same, to sit at Jesus' feet and to worship him and to ask for his forgiveness, okay? Because of the passion that Mary had for God, that overflowed out of her. Somebody else got to know the goodness and the love of Jesus, all right? So, today, I want to give you a heads up. I'm going to talk a lot about youth ministry, okay? And I want you to hear me on this. I'm speaking about youth ministry because that is where God currently has me placed. That is my area of ministry. That's where he's working and moving in my life. And so as I speak today, I don't want you to be in your mind going, gosh, should I volunteer with the youth or the children in this neighborhood? If God's calling you to that, that's awesome. If he's not, don't feel guilty that you're not involved, okay? I'm just sharing my experience this week with God, okay? Everybody clear on that? All right. So as this week, as I've done my ABCs, God has been doing what God does, Okay, he has been just blowing my mind, all right? So, again, a couple of stories this week, and, uh, and let's, let's just kind of look at, at what God was doing, okay? I had a conversation with somebody from this community. Um, it started two weeks ago. It was a young man that we've known for a long time. He came to and he said, Mr. Will, he said, um, I need some help. I've got to do some community service hours. My probation officers told me I had to. 
can you or the church help me out with that? I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. I'd love to help you with that. Um, I said, let me, let me look at my schedule, and you talk to your probation officer, find out what I need to do to help you, and then let me know, and we'll, we'll start moving forward. And he said, okay. So that was Wednesday a week ago. This Wednesday, um, he showed up at youth and said, um, uh, actually showed up in the middle of me teaching. He came in and tried to talk to me while I'm teaching. I was like, bro, hold on. <laughs> give me just a minute. I'll be done here, and we can talk. So I went to his house after youth was over. And he said, I talked to my probation officer. Um, he said, wouldn't we just need to fulfill the time? You write it all down, sign it, and then he'll call you to verify. I said, hey, man, I no promise. How many hours do you need? He said, 32. Oh, oh, okay. I was thinking three. All right, God, cool. I've already committed. That's good. And he said, um, he said Mr. Will, he said, I want to ask you for one more thing. I said, yeah, man, what, what you got? He said, um, I want to ask you if you will ask God if he'll help me fulfill my dream. I said, yeah, man, what's your dream? He said, I want to be a rapper. Okay, I'll ask God that. And he said, now, Mr. Will, he said, don't, don't, he said, he said, I'm not, I'm not talking about rapping about killing people and stuff. I was like, hold on, man, you prejudging me on what you think I'm judging you about. Back up, we ain't there yet. And he said, he said, I want to, he said, my life has been hard. And he said, when I, when I rap, he said, I, I tell my, about my hardships and the things I've gone through. He said, what I want to do is, he said, I want to help people that are going through the stuff that I've gone through understand that they're not alone. He said, when I see somebody, he said, I want to make it big. He said, because I want to have power, and I want to be able, when I see somebody that's homeless and they need a helping hand, I can help them out. Or I, if, if, if somebody's in a bad spot in the neighborhood, I can go and help them out. And I said, man, why don't, you, why don't you let me help you with that? He looked at me kind of crazy. I said, look, I know. I know. I'm white. Okay, I get it. Okay? I'm not asking to help with your rap game. That's, that's, not, me. <laughs> that's not what I do, obviously. Okay, you just watched me play basketball. I, I got no street cred in that. And I said... Um, here's what I can help you with. And I said, I can help you with your street cred. I said, because if you are, I said, you know, if you, if you turn on the radio and you listen to a rapper and he's talking about whatever he's talking about, you know immediately if he's telling the truth or not, right? You know if what he's, if he's, what he's talking about is real. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I said, man, the same is going to be true for you. I said, you don't need to wait until you've made it to start helping people. You need to start helping people right now because that's going to bring re- reality. That's going to bring truth to what your, what your, what your message is right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, that's, that's what I can help you with, okay? And he said, um, and, well, he mentioned he wanted power. And I said, uh, I said, man, have you ever asked God what his dream for your life is? No, no, Mr. Willie. He said, I got my own dream. I don't, you know, I don't need to ask God. And I said, I said, imagine if the God who spoke the universe into being, okay, this powerful God lived inside of you. Imagine the power you could have, the impact, the good that you could do in people's lives if you weren't operating out of your own power, but out of that power. Man, his eyes got as big as golf balls. And he said, Mr. Will, how do I know what God's dream is for me? I said, man, I ask him. And he's like, well, how do I do that? He's, I said, well, I guess, guess, guess what, man? We get 32 hours together. How about I teach you while we're working? He said, all right. Okay, so that's the beginning of the story. Okay, that was on Wednesday. So, we talked through that, and I told him I'd look at my schedule, we'd pl- we'd, we nailed down some dates, and I'd call him the next day. He said, sounds good to me. Okay, looked at my calendar, just so happens I have three weeks, three Saturdays, between now and I have to go to a conference in, in mid-October, and that fulfills his, his uh, requirements for when he needs to get it done. Three Saturdays, 32 hours, man, we can knock that out. Okay, God placed all that in line. My schedule was already made. But without even checking it, I asked God on the spot. I was like, hey, do I need to do this? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, yeah. And then God worked out the details. Okay? 
So we're going to talk about that more um, a little bit later. So a couple of important things that happened between the story from last week and where I feel like God's got us going today. We're going to be in John chapter 12, okay, verse 20 through 26, if you want to open up to that, knock yourself out. A um, couple of important things happen. Jesus, after that experience with Mary and Martha, um, is when he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Passover is beginning. Uh, we know that story, most of us, if you've grown up in church. Um, one of the things that God pointed out to me this week is that Jesus was a cowboy, okay? I can prove that. That's another message for another day. So afterwards, if you'd like me to explain that, I can lay it out for you, okay? Um, Jesus, another story that really stood out to me, and I thought this was what I was going to preach on this week, but, but God uh, directed me to this other passage. But Jesus looks over Jerusalem, and he weeps over it, over all of it. And when I've read that story in the past, when I first looked at it, I just assumed he was weeping over the people, um, a certain group of people, okay? But I heard somebody say a couple of weeks ago, um, I heard a message on this, he was talking about how Jesus wept over everybody in that city. Whether they wanted to know him or not, he wept over them because of the separation that they were experiencing from, uh, from God. Okay, so that brings us into, into chapter 12, verse 20 through 25. So let's read this together, it'll be up on the screens, uh, and then we'll dive in. I've got four things that I really feel like the Holy Spirit wanted us to, to key in on, uh, on this short passage, okay? So let's jump in there, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son... Sorry, somebody's texting me. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. All right, so I want to look at this passage today, and I want to look at four, four main things. The first thing that stuck out to me about what, what, you know, when I'm looking at this passage saying, what do I learn about the person of Jesus, is that Jesus... Um, loved all peoples regardless of their ethnicity, their culture, or anything else that, that man can come up with to try to cause division. Okay? I think that's really relevant in, in our political climate right now, and I think it's a good word from the Lord. Okay? Something that I learned this week as I was studying this that I never, I never noticed before was Jesus' life is bookended by two very important things. At the beginning of his life, at his birth, there are a group of people that are drawn to him that are not Jewish, the wise men. They're from a different culture. Okay? At the end of Jesus' ministry, as he's being called in Jerusalem, we see again in this story that there is people from another culture that are being drawn by the Holy Spirit to go and to find Jesus. Okay? I think that is significant. And I think it's significant because the Jews in their mind, because of what they had been taught and what they thought they knew about God, is that the Messiah was for them. Okay? Their idea still, and we've talked about this a lot, is that Jesus is going to come in, he's going to overthrow the Roman government, and he's going to become king of the Jewish people, just like David was back in the day. They had their, their minds were warped as to what the truth really was. But the, but the, the point of it is that the, the Jews thought that the Messiah was coming to rescue them alone. Okay? And I think that it's significant that, that the Holy Spirit is drawing this in. And I think the disciples at this point are kind of starting to recognize that a little bit. And certainly Jesus is aware of what's going on. Okay. All right, so I was thinking about this today, 
and I was thinking about my own life, or I was thinking about it yesterday, I was thinking about my own life, and, and you guys have probably experienced this before, or maybe it's just me, but there are times where I have a plan, like on a Saturday, these are the things that I'm going to get done. I got my plan, I got all my stuff in order, and I'm ready to get it done. And then something happens in the middle of that that completely changes my plan, and it frustrates the heck out of me. Anybody else feel that? Okay? All right? So in our story, I think this is kind of some of what's going on, but Jesus doesn't get frustrated, okay? So think about a time maybe recently that you were having a lunch break, and it's been a stressful day, and you're like, I'm just going to take a break and relax for a minute, eat my lunch, and I can get back to it, and you get interrupted. Or maybe you have your Saturday all planned out, and in the middle of your relaxing weekend, something pops up, and you've got to go help somebody do something, all right? If we're honest, and we need to be, okay, we've all had times when a person that Jesus has placed in our lives interrupts what we already had scheduled, right? We think that our, our lives, our weekends, our lunch break, etc., is ours. That's my time. I get to claim and get to do what I want, but it's not. We put barrier, barriers around certain areas of our life, and we say, okay, God, you can have everything else, but this part right here, this part is mine. You don't get to, this is, this is me time, okay? And then when somebody tries to cross that, we shut them down. We're like, oh, nope, mm-mm, this is the me time. You can't get in here. This is for me, all right? What I see in this passage is that, that these Greeks are coming, and they're trying to find Jesus, and Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching. That's what God is sending there to do, Okay? But Jesus provides access to God that the church denied. These Greeks were believers. They converted to Judaism, but their ethnicity was not Jewish. Okay? They were outside of the Jewish culture and the Jewish race. And they want to come in and they want, they've heard about this guy, Jesus, and they're interested in the Holy Spirit's drawing them. And they want to get to Jesus, but they are separated by the church. The church says, no, this area of the temple is for Jews only. Okay, And so as I read this passage and I look at the interaction between Philip and Andrew, what I think happens, what I see in this passage, is that the, the Greeks know that they're not allowed to go into this part of the temple where Jesus is, but they know there's these 12 dudes that are always around Jesus. And if they can just talk to one of those guys, they can probably get them in. Okay? So they're looking around and they run into Philip. Okay? They say, hey, Philip, we'd like to speak to Jesus. All right? And Philip, what's he do? He goes and finds Andrew. All right? I find humor in that because here's what I think is happening. If you look back in Mark, and we're not going to go to it, but if you look later at Mark uh, chapter 13, verse 3, you see Andrew and several other disciples. Jesus is talking about the end of the world, all right? And they lean in and they're like, because it says they did it separately, which means they were like whispering, like they didn't want everybody else to know they were asking. They're like, hey, Jesus, when's all this going down, man? Give me the time, okay? And Jesus says no, all right? But here's what I think. I think Philip was a little, he was a little concerned about what was going on because in their culture, Philip's a Jew, okay? He knows that they, the Greeks are not allowed in here. So Philip's a little nervous about it. Well, he goes and finds Andrew because Andrew will ask Jesus anything. He's already proven that, right? How many of you have done that before? You'd be like, I'm, I ain't asking Daddy. You go ask Daddy, right, when you're growing up, okay? I think that's a little bit what's going on here. Philip goes and finds Andrew, and then they go together because when you're together, that's less scary, okay? So they go in and they ask Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, come on in, okay? I want to share with you guys a little bit about my life because... When I look at this, it makes me ask myself a very hard question. It makes me ask myself, who am I denying access to the gospel because of prejudices that are in my heart? Now, I grew up in Grant Parish. When I was in junior high, my, my sister, my older sister, went to Grant High. Okay? You can think whatever you want to think about Grant. It's probably true. Okay? But that's where God put me. All right? I was in junior high. My sister was in high school. Every day when I got home, I heard about these racial fights that were going on. 
course, my family's white, so it was the black people's fault, okay? That's the culture that I grew up in, all right? And that's where my, my relationship with black people started, okay? Again, I'm just talking about me. I'm sharing my heart with you, okay? So by the time I got to high school, I was scared to death of black people because I just assumed, based on the stories that I had heard, that I was going to get beat up when I got to school because everybody's getting beat up by the black people. That's what was communicated to me. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you what was told, okay? So I grew up in that kind of environment. I made it through high school, never got beat up, okay? Found out black people were not as bad as everybody said, all right? I get to college, and I made my first real black friend, y'all, and I was proud. It's my black friend right here. Honestly, he was like the whitest black dude you'd ever meet in your life. If you met him, you'd be like, this dude ain't black. He is white, okay? Those of you who know who I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, Okay? But it, it became something I was prideful of because now all of a sudden, you know, I came from this, I came from this area where you don't, talk about, you don't talk about black people, you don't talk to black people, you just, you just keep your distance. And now I'm in college, I'm a grown man, now i got a black friend, oh, look at me, okay? That's where I was, I'm not saying it was right, that's where I was. A couple of years ago down, Bethany and I are youth ministers at a prominent church here locally. Uh, it's in a neighborhood that has both really... Uh, prominent white upper-class people, but it also has really um, bad neighborhoods in terms of poverty and, and, and hurt that's going on. So we come into this church, and man, God just lays it on us and says, man, y'all need to be reaching out to this community that's around you. And so we're like, yeah, absolutely. So we open up the doors of the church, which was not widely accepted. That was very frowned upon, but we did it anyway because we felt like God was calling us to it, okay? And that was the first time in my life that I got some real exposure to the hurt and the need that was in the community around us, Okay. And it wasn't just black kids, it was white kids involved in that too. But it, it, their color wasn't important. But what was important, what God was doing in my heart. Because for the first time, I saw the reality of the hurt that was happening in these kids' lives who were living in extreme poverty. Things I, I just had never even, I didn't even have a way to comprehend it because I'd never walked through it. So we did that for, for a number of years. And, and God was softening my heart and helping me to understand that the things, the assumptions that I made about the people that lived the way that these kids were living were all wrong. That it was out of bad stuff that was in my heart that I didn't even realize, realize. okay? Then God, fast forward a, a long time, okay? God calls us here. I've shared my experience with you guys about that, about God, why, you, why me, why here, what am I going to do? But God was continually purging out little prejudices that were in my heart that I didn't even know existed. And I, I had some conversations with some guys at work about this this week, okay? I, and I'll be honest, when we first moved here, I was afraid of the people in this community because of all of that stuff that happened when I was in junior high and high school. It was still down in my heart, and I didn't even know it. I was completely unaware of it, but as I spent time in this community, as we were here, God started working that stuff out of me. All right? So interestingly enough, we've been here three years. We've only had to call the police one time, and it was on a white dude. So whatever that's worth to you, okay? The Greeks in this story needed someone to grant them access into where Jesus was. They needed help getting to where he was. I believe that there's been three people in my life this week that are desiring to have access to the gospel that God placed in my life that God is drawing to himself. Okay, all three of these men are completely different culture than what I know and what I understand. And I can confidently say that it's the Holy Spirit that's drawing them in because it is obvious that it's not me. The things that they are about, the things that they value are not things that I value. If we, if we try to sit down and talk about common things, we really don't have a lot. But God is drawing them into himself and he's put me in their life to try to help with that. Okay, the second thing that I see in this story that Jesus does is he makes himself available. 
Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm busy teaching right now like I did Wednesday night. Jesus said, oh, yeah, you want to talk? Come on in. And he sits down and he has a conversation with these people. Okay? We've, we've shared this story with our life group and with a few others, but months ago when Aaron was really sick, one of our elders, um, when he was finally able to come back to church, he was sitting here in the back corner, and Glenn said, let's pray over him. And so the church gathered up and they, and they began to pray over him. And we had a couple of kids in the back who didn't grow up in church, and this whole laying on of hands thing, like, they're, what's up with that, okay? And, and Bethany notices that they're kind of whispering over in the corner, which is fine. You're going to hear that a lot. They're trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And she realized that they're, they're talking. One says to the other, hey, stand up. And he's like, why? I don't know they are. And so she goes over, and she explains that Aaron was, had been very sick and almost died, but God is, is healing his body, and so we're praying and asking God to continue to heal him. And so they, but now they're interested. And so they go over, and everybody's standing over Aaron. We're all standing up. And you can see them kind of peeking over. Those kids aren't here today, so don't worry about them. I'm not talking about it in front of them. I'd tell them if I was. All right? They're looking over. Bethany that morning had been reading the story of Zacchaeus, which Glenn covered three weeks ago. And what God pointed out to Bethany is that our, our role as a church here in this community is to be the tree. Zacchaeus climbed a tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus. And when he got that glimpse of Jesus, Jesus drew him in and his life was forever changed. That's our call as a church. Specifically, I, I can't speak for you and what God's speaking in your life, but I know that for me and for Bethany and the youth ministry and the children's ministry at this church, our call is to be a tree, is to just provide access for these kids to be able to, to do whatever is necessary to just get a glimpse of Jesus. When I used to hear people say, things about me sharing my relationship with Jesus, I would tense up on the inside. Because in my mind, all I could think of was the things that I grew up with. You know, like going to the mall and passing out the million dollar tracks. You know what I'm talking about? Ugh. It was horrible, okay? So when people would talk about sharing Jesus, that's immediately what comes to mind, okay? And that, that never, I don't know about you guys, in my experience, that never worked, okay? I might could guilt somebody into talking to me for a minute, but beyond that, nothing fruitful ever came, okay? But our call as believers is to introduce people into Jesus, and I'm not, not, I'm not talking about passing out tracts, okay? What I never understood um, is, is what I see in this, in this scripture. So look at the beauty of this, okay? They found Philip. Philip wasn't walking around the temple or outside the temple going, hey, anybody want to talk to Jesus? Philip was just doing his thing. Philip was with the rest of the disciples or he was milling around the temple. And and the Greeks came and they found Philip. And they asked the question. When we talk about, about sharing the gospel with people, in our minds sometimes still we're stuck in old dead religion of I have to go and do this for Jesus. I have to go out and do this. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to do anything except just listen, just do what I'm asking you to do. And God's going to draw us in. He's going to draw people to himself. We, we see that in Scripture. That's something that we believe as a church, that no man goes out looking for Jesus on his own, but the Holy Spirit draws us in. He begins to work on us. And so if we abide, if we are present in mind as we're going through our, out our day, thinking about the things that God has called us to, having conversation with God, if we are in that process, we're going to see what God's doing around us. And as the Holy Spirit draws people into himself, we're going to see some really neat things. Okay? Philip went to Andrew, and I think it's because Philip was unsure if it was okay. If you're unsure about what God's telling you to do, ask somebody. Now, I want to be clear. Last week, Glenn said some very important things. He was talking about, I don't even even know who he was talking about, but he said that there was somebody in our church that 
needed to know what to do, so they asked somebody in their life group, and neither one of them consulted God, but the other person gave them an answer, and they went and did it. I think, did I, if I remember that correctly. And the issue is that, with that is that God was never consulted. Somebody went and asked somebody else that they respected for their advice. That person gave their advice, and neither one of the two in the scenario ever asked God what, was, what, what they needed to do. In the scenario that I'm describing, what, what is happening is God is speaking, and you're saying, God, I think this is what you're saying, but I'm a little bit unsure. And God, go ask somebody. That's why we have life groups. Go to people that are in your life group, people that you're doing life with, and say, hey, look, I think this is what God's doing in my life. Can you help me confirm this? The elders do this all the time. We did it yesterday. We did it the day before. Somebody's praying about something. They say, hey, look, I think this is what God's saying. We shoot it out in a text or an email, and we get feedback, and we all pray together. And we say, God, is this what you're saying? And God confirms yes or no. It's not, it's not, um, it's not healthy to not ask for help. Okay? Remember, we are all being called from what we currently understand to what we don't understand. God is moving us forward. It is a progression. And when you're moving from understanding into something that you don't understand, it's normal and it's healthy and it's natural to have questions. And it's good and it's normal and it's healthy to ask questions. Third thing. Jesus uses their culture to help them understand the gospel. Verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is a reference that Jesus was making to some Greek mythology that I'm not even going to begin to try to piece together because I will butcher it up. Okay? But the point is this. Jesus is using an example from Greek mythology that these Greeks would have been very familiar with. And in that story, it has to do with grain. Okay, again, I'm not going to try to piece that together, but he references a story that they already know. He uses what he has learned about their culture to try to communicate the truth about who he is and what life walking with him is going to look like. Okay? The point is Jesus is knowledgeable about their culture and, and, and knows it enough to know the, the intricacies of the story, to, to know the little details so that he can communicate new truth out of what they already understand. Okay? I've been praying for the last couple of years that God would give me his perspective on the kids here in this community that he's called me to minister to because I don't know their life. I didn't grow up the way they did. I didn't have the struggles that they did. I grew up in an upper middle class family that had plenty. And if you needed something, you needed a job, you needed money, you just asked somebody and it was provided. And I'm very honest and open with our kids about that. I know I don't know their struggles and that's okay. But I'm willing to walk through what they're walking through right now. I'm willing to hold their hand and say, let's go through this together. And there's a big difference there, okay? God's not called me to change who I am, okay? I'm not fixing to show up in a flat bill cap and some of them hipster pants, okay? I'm not making fun of Levi if that's where your mind went, okay? My boy. God's not calling us to change who we are. He's calling us to learn about the people that he has called us to minister to, okay? We all know that if you go out into a foreign mission field, before you go, you've got to learn about the culture. We've got several missionaries, the Randolphs, who are in Bulgaria. They've been in school for years, learning the language, learning the culture, learning the stories, so that as they live among the people in Bulgaria, they can use what they know about their culture to help them communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that they can understand and receive it, okay? 
Kenneth and Christy Williams that went to Uganda. They went, y'all, you want to talk about a foreign culture? Woo! All right? They went over there and they found somebody that spoke English who lived among the Karamajong people and could teach them the language and teach them the culture and teach them how to communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that the people there could understand. Okay? Verse, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. God brought me to this yesterday to help communicate this point. Okay? I'll read it real quick. It's up on the screen. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Y'all, I feel like that's what happens every Wednesday night. And kids are like, what the heck is this dude trying to say? Others said... He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects you worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I will proclaim to you. Paul was a Jew. Now, he was a Roman citizen because of where he was born, but he was Jewish. Okay? I'm not saying that he didn't know about what the, the Romans and the Greeks believed, but what I am saying is that as, as Paul is walking through this place, He's got his mind about him, and he's looking. And the Holy Spirit points out that there is, a tr- there is something that they know to be truth in their life that he can use to communicate the truth about who God is. Unknown God. Oh, you don't, know, you don't know this God? I know this God. Let me tell you about this God. All of a sudden, it becomes a teachable moment. Okay? If we're going to bring the truth about who God is into the community where you're called, we have to engage it. We have to turn our brains on and learn about who they are. Y'all, we have to become a student of their culture. Just think about that for a minute. We have to become a student of their culture. When we just try to learn about them, we naturally place ourselves in an elevated position above them. Don't you think about that for a minute. When we say, oh, I'm trying to learn about that person's life, we're putting ourselves up here and we're putting them down there. But when we say, I'm going to be a student of yours and I want to learn from you, we put ourselves below them and we can actually learn something. And they can feel that because there's a real relationship happening. I read this today in Oswald and it just stood out to me. It said, it's easy for us to imagine that we will suddenly come to a point in our lives where we are fully prepared. But preparation is not suddenly accomplished. In fact, it is a process that must steadily be maintained. It is, a, it is dangerous to become settled and complacent in our present level of experience. The Christian life require, requires preparation and more preparation. It doesn't end. It's not like I'm going to one day wake up and be like, I got it, figured it out, I know what to do now. And you're not either. Our call is our mission field, and I cannot stress that enough, and we have to treat it as such. It's so easy. If God's called you to minister in the place that you live, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day stuff, right? Y'all know that to be true. 
You know, you get, you get distracted because you forgot to play the electric bill and the power went out. Or, or things got a little bit crazy at work because you didn't get a project finished and that consumes your mind. But if we're not constantly abiding, if we're not doing our ABCs, it's going to be so quick to fall into what becomes natural, into what's easy for us. And the things that are hard, the things that God's called us to, we're going we're gonna to let just fall to the wayside because we're not paying attention. Okay? Fourth thing. Jesus tells the truth about um, what following him will be like. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's not like, oh, yeah, come hang out with me, man. It's going to be great. Jesus is knows, knows that he's headed to the cross, that he's about to die. And anybody that is with him could potentially suffer the same fate. Okay? Verse 25, he says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If we're going to make any progress in ministry, anywhere, we have to be honest with what a relationship with Jesus is really like. Y'all growing up for me, when people talk about having a relationship with Jesus, it was, it was watered down into pray a prayer, walk the aisle, get baptized, boom, you're in. Any of us that have a growing relationship with Jesus know that there's so much more to it than that. And it's good. It's really, really good. But sometimes in the middle of that goodness, it's also really, really hard. That's why God puts us together in community so we can walk that out together. Okay? When we encounter a living God, our lives are radically changed. When we give our life to Jesus, something new happens inside of us. Something that we can't explain. And there's a passion that wells up inside of us that we talked about last week that wasn't there before. Glenn tells a story all the time about his desire to be somebody and how he walked up the, the ladder trying to get to the top and he got there and, and there was nothing to be found. I, can, I, I can't speak to his story, but I can tell you mine. Bethany and I, I grew up in the Methodist church. We ministered in the Methodist church for a long time. There were some things I disagreed about in the Methodist church and I was like, God, get me out of here. And so God did. And he sent us to Rockwall, Texas to help plant a church. And I thought, I've made it. This is it. This is about to be good. I went to Rockwall with the attitude of, I have the answers. Come on over and I'll tell you the answers to your questions. I read something a couple of weeks ago, and it was probably Tim Keller, but he said uh, um, a very bad way of evangelism is to go to someone and tell them, um, you're wrong, but I'm right. Let me tell you how. Right? That's how I went to Rockwall. I went thinking, man, I've made it. I'm fixing to be somebody. This is going to be good. And then I got over there, and what I found was devastation and heartache and betrayal. Not from Bethany, just so we're clear. She and I were good, okay? But things did not go the way I thought it was, and I think a big part of that's because I was focused on me. It was about what could I do for these people because they needed somebody like me to tell them how to do life. I think that... that God had to use that to get me to the end of myself. Kyle and I are reading this book right now. Um, by the way, I talk about Kyle a lot because we do lunch every Thursday. Okay, don't be jealous. We can do lunch if you want, okay? Um, or Kyle can do lunch with you. He's a lot more fun than I am. We're reading this book by a guy named Kyle Eidelman that Aaron uh, recommended to me. It's called um, um, The End of Me. Phenomenal book, easy read. It's hilarious, but it's, it's really truthful, Okay. And, and as we were reading through that book, we had to talk about times where God got us in the end of ourselves. And for me, that's the story that keeps coming up because God broke me down in that time in my life. Okay? As soon as I stopped trying to be somebody, I found that I was loved and valued by the people that God had in my life that he had put there. I didn't need to be someone else. I just needed to be me, and that was enough. 
When we choose to enter a relationship with Jesus, we ask him to be the Lord of our life, to be in control. You know the language that we use. But we're putting him in charge, and we're choosing to follow him. Henry Blackaby said this this morning. Therefore, if you're a Christian, your life is not your own. Rather than dying, however, God asks you to live for him as a living sacrifice. Every day, you are to offer your life to him for his service. You do not serve him in your spare time or with your leftover resources. The way you live your life for God is your offering to him. Here's the best part. As we follow Jesus, he fills us with passion. Our obedience to follow him is going to come out of the overflow of our lives. It's not going to be dreadful work. It's going to be like, man, this is, this is good stuff right here. Okay? I want to share a couple of stories real quick to wrap this up. All right? So, y'all know I work at Petron. All right? This week, I had that conversation with a young man from our community. I'm excited about it. It's obvious to me that the Holy Spirit's working in his life. Okay? I'm backing out of my parking spot on Thursday, looking over my right shoulder because I suck at driving. And I look over my left, and this guy, Greg, is standing right by my window. I'm like, Greg, what are you doing? He's like, I ain't moving, man. You got to look on both sides. Yeah, you're right, Greg. You're right. I didn't tell Bethany this story because she was going to fuss at me because I suck at driving. <laughs> don't tell her if she's not in here. I don't know. I don't see her. I was like, dang, she's in here. I, no, that's not about her. It's the guy sitting next to her. All right. Kevin, I'm going to talk about you a little bit briefly. I hope that's okay. So this guy, Greg, I rolled down my window. Now, Greg and I have talked before, okay? Greg's a black guy, all right? Just being up front with you guys because I want you to see what's happening, what Jesus is doing. Roll down my window. Greg fusses at me. Ha, ha. We laugh it off. And, man, I, I felt the Holy Spirit, Okay? I was like, I, I, I said, Greg, you got a minute? I need to ask you a couple of questions. He's like, yeah, man. So I tell him about this kid that I'm having this, this conversation with. And I'm telling him about the things that the young man is struggling with. Now, Greg served time. I don't even know what he did, but I know he did 13 years. He told me that. Okay? So Greg, he grew up in the streets. Did, whatever happened, happened. I don't know. But he did 13 years in prison. Okay? He's been out seven and he's worked at Petron ever since then. And he said, in his words, he said, for a guy like me, that's a big deal. Okay? So Greg, I, I tell him about this conversation. And I asked him a couple of questions. And man, Greg was open and he was honest. Okay? Because I, what I felt the Holy Spirit saying is, here is a guy who I can ask questions, who's going to be honest with me, and he's going to give me his perspective on his life. And he's going to give me his perspective on these kids' lives. I was placing myself under Greg as a student saying, teach me something that I don't know about your life. Because the only way I'm going to be able to reach this community is if I understand what they're going through. Okay? If I can, and I can walk that out better if I know what's coming, if I know what to expect, if I know how they're thinking about their life. So Greg and I have a great conversation. I get done with Greg, and man, I am just blown away. I can feel it. The Holy Spirit was in that conversation. And, and I was telling Greg that our goal is not just to make good people. We don't want to just take these students in and teach them how to act like white people and send them on out into the workforce and say, okay, we did a good job. What I want is for Jesus to know them and for them to know Jesus, for there to be a heart change in their life, that they come to know Christ as their Savior. And as a result of that, they fall deeper in love with Him and they can make a greater impact in their community than I ever could because of the overflow that's going to happen in their life. So I'm explaining all that to Greg. We had a great conversation. He goes in to, to clock out, and I was in my truck about to leave, and I remember, realized I forgot my computer in the office, so I pull into a parking spot. I'm walking back up to the office, and Greg fist bumps me. He's like, man, get them hearts. And I said, just off the coast, like, why don't you help me? He said, name the time and place. 
didn't expect that. Not, I didn't have any expectation, but it just shocked me. I was like, all right, man, we're going to do it. I'm going to get it lined up. He said, okay. So Friday, I was out of town all day. Didn't even, I went to the office for a very brief moment that morning, and then me and Beth and the kids were on the road. I had a couple of meetings in other parts of the state, and I didn't go back to the office that evening. But yesterday, I went up to prep for today, and uh, I went to go get some change out of my truck, and Kevin walks up. He's like, hey, man, Greg was telling me about the conversation that y'all had, and, man, I want to help with that. I said, man, you got just a minute? He's like, yeah. We go in my office and we sit down, and I had an incredible conversation with Kevin. Kevin, I don't know if you noticed yesterday, but, dude, I was hyped when you left. I was excited, okay? And I was excited because I want you all to picture this with me, okay? What Glenn talked about last week is as we spend time with Jesus, he fills the well up and it overflows I had a conversation with Greg, and Kevin now is involved because Greg told Kevin about what God was doing in our body. Y'all feeling that? I didn't make that happen. I didn't go to Greg and and say, hey, can you talk to Kevin? Kevin and I, I know who Kevin is. We've said hello, but that's been the extent of our conversation. And when I left my office yesterday, I called Bethany. I couldn't sit still. I was so excited. Not because I had a great conversation with Kevin, because it was, but because I was like, look what God is doing right here. Y'all, that's our call. Our call is to not make good people. Our call is to be obedient to God, be who we are, who he has created us to be, and be where he has called us to be, and pay attention. And when we pay attention to what God's doing, lives are going to be changed. Man, I am so excited about what's going to happen. Oh, I didn't even tell you this. The young man from the community while I'm on the road Friday calls me, his words. He says, Will, you know, I've never really had a dad in my life. And I, was, I want to ask you for one more thing. I said, what's that, man? He said, will you mentor me? His words. I didn't initiate that. I said, dude, I would be honored. I want to be real clear. These guys are not drawn to me because I'm not like them. They're drawn to the Holy Spirit, and I didn't make this happen, and I'm, I'm just on the ride. It's like a roller coaster, and I can't wait to see what God does next. I can't wait to see what God does in this young man's life. We got 32 hours to spend together. Man, I am praying. I told the elders, y'all pray about what we're going to do and pray about asking God what I need to say. Okay, I'm doing the same thing because it's obvious that the Holy Spirit is drawing this guy in. And I want to do everything that I need to do that I, so that I can be the tree. I don't want to be a savior. I don't want to be the guy that he wants to be like. I just want to be the tree. I want him to come to know Jesus as his savior. I want him to know the joy that I felt by not doing anything and just watching God and letting God put it all together. What's your call? Jesus' call was to save all men of all cultures and all races. Jesus loves everybody equally. For me, my call right now is to reach somebody that's outside my culture. And I'm so excited about that because I get to learn. I get to do life outside of my norm. What's your call? What is God asking you to pay attention to? Y'all bow your heads with me. God, I'm so thankful that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. That you give us the opportunity to just stand back and say, wow. God, I ask that you continue to work in my heart to remove the prejudices and the things that are in me that are 
um, keeping me from being able to share the gospel with people. God, things that I don't even know are there. God, keep purging that stuff out of me so that I can follow you wherever you go and I can be who you need me to be. God, I'm just so thankful for this week. God, I ask that you would work in the lives of our church the way or in even greater ways than you've worked in mine. God, that, that as you work, we just can't help but tell people about it. That as we follow you, it just overflows. And all of a sudden, we realize we're having a conversation with Jesus when we was just standing there drinking a Coke with somebody we know. God, I'm so in love with you. God, I ask that you'd help the people in our communities, the places that you call us, see the love that you have for us through the way that we love them. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.